just see you smiling at me like a benevolent god. <laughs> Will I begin? Yes, okay, start the podcast. Forever Young Adults At the podcast where we review books Hello and welcome to Forever Young Adult, a podcast where I, Aoife And I, Kira read and review young adult literature wonderful today i am the one who is discussing a book that i read it is debatably not young adult literature as the protagonist is 12 but Uh, it counts it's terry pratchett all of his stuff can be read by people at all ages that is very true and kira has just given us a wee bit of a spoiler because (laughs) indeed although it wasn't in the title of the episode that you just clicked on to hear us. It's a, it's a spoiler in that the title of the episode tells you the name of the book and the author. And also at the end of last week's episode, if you all listen to that, Aoife said she was going reading this book. So it's a massive spoiler that I'm reading Johnny and the Dead <laughs> by Sir Terence David John Pratchett. To give him his full title. Yeah. O-B-E. Any news, Kira, before we start on the book thing? Um, I don't have a lot of personal news, but I have been putting a lot of work into the social media accounts that we have, and I've been working on the Instagram, and mm. there's some nice book quotes over there if people want to go give them a like. They've been, they've been a good creative outlet for me. What are our social medias then, if people want to check those out just while they're listening to us speak? So our social medias are on Twitter, it's Forever YA Pod, and then on Instagram, we're Forever YA Podcast. Uh, because unfortunately we couldn't get seamless transition but we're working on it yeah well i don't think we are are we are you not actively we are not working on it very hard (laughs) okay cool just just wondering just so we're all on the same page cool um yeah we're kira this is going to be our 24th episode other than bonus episodes which i know when we when we come out uh with my episode in February, that will be a full year of episodes. We're also hitting close to our 1000th download. Yeah, we haven't quite hit it yet. We're at the time of recording, we're on 971 downloads, which is real cool. So our this episode could be the episode that hits that hits that mark. Like, I know we're still a small podcast and it's not massive, but it's really exciting to me that we've been going for about a year. So this means that, like, every day, three people have listened to us. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I'm really excited about it. We're going to have a I, cake. I love our audience. I didn't know we were going to have a cake. This is so good. Yeah, no, I just decided this second that when we get 1,000 downloads, we're going to have a cake. And I'm going to write 1,000 on it in Smarties. That's so good. Oh my god, I can't wait. <laughs> okay, I mean, okay. you're the one who's going to have to make the cake. That's true. That is true. <laughs> you also aren't going to eat the cake because you don't like sweet things. This is going to be great. I will eat some of our download cake. I and promise. you guys should definitely follow our Instagram because... That's where we will post the pictures of our download cake. We're going to post a little selfie of us eating it together. Yes, we will. <laughs> I'm real excited about this now. (laughs) Tell me about Terry Pratchett's. (laughs) Okay. Full disclosure. Mm -hmm. Terry Pratchett is my favorite author. 
Mm. Um, Terry Pratchett is an author who I first discovered at the age of 11 when my grandmother, uh, who I love very much, turned me on to his books. But he's also a very loved writer by other people. He was the UK's best-selling author in the 1990s. He was the top-selling and highest-earning UK author in 1996. In 2003, Pratchett's UK sales were 5.6% of all of the sales of books in the UK, which makes him the second best-selling author of that year after J.K. Rowling's. I was about to ask, is the is the best-selling author J.K. Rowling? Because it's always J.K. Rowling. But like, not by much. Not by much because um, J.K. Rowling got 6% of all sales and Pratchett got 5.6%. So it's quite close. But yes, he was first born. Before he became a best-selling author, he had to be born. And he was born on the 28th of April, 1948, an only child. He left school at 17 and began a journalism apprentice, which was the thing you could do in 1965. As part of this apprenticeship, he wrote short stories for children. Um, for the children's section of the paper. I think that you can do apprenticeships now. They're just called unpaid internships. Apprenticeships are paid. <laughs> Fair enough. So in 1968, about three years into this, he interviewed a publisher for something in the paper and mentioned offhand that he had a manuscript for a children's book he was working on. And this became The Carpet People, which is the first book he published in 1971, at which point he was in his early 20s. In 1983, he published his first Discworld book, after which he wrote an average of two books a year until his death in 2015. So how many books is that total? I don't want to do that math. Definitely over 50, I think over 60. Okay, wait, 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 what year? 30, yeah, it'd be about 60 books, over 60 books. That's a lot of books. Two a year. That's... That's too many books. I personally believe that this man wrote too many books. That's my official opinion on the matter. That is fair enough. His <laughs> his early Discworld books, I believe, aren't as good as his later work. So that's really like soothing to me that he's like... Improved over time? Yeah, this incredibly prolific, um, incredibly famous, incredibly respected and adored writer was like bad at the beginning <laughs> or not amazing but okay and got way better over time that is generally speaking how talent and skills work though also i remember reading about when he first started writing the discworld novels he wasn't like fully committed to them as like this massive world that he was going to be using as a playground forever so when he first wrote them they didn't have any like massive rules that he had to abide by. And then as he kept adding more characters and more to the world, he then had to like make the world solider, which also like made the books more contained, which made them more fun and challenging to write. What he did at one point was invent an in-world justification for his earlier indiscrepancies where he wrote a book where it's a whole complicated thing but time shatters and people need to put it back together so it's like this is why there are inconsistencies in this world because the history monks had to put the world back together again after it being broken so some of the bits don't fit great that's i didn't know about that that's amazing 
I've only read the Discworld books that involve the Watch because I love Sam Vines so much. Um, He's massive Sam Sam Vines stan right here. Mm -hmm. So So it was 83 when he started Discworld. Um, Mm -hmm. From 87, he started making his full living from fiction writing. So that's, you know, four years where he's publishing two books a year and not, it's not his entire income. So uh, publishing's whack. It's a difficult um, industry to make an income from. And really you should is. not you should not return books on Audible when you finish them because the authors have to refund Amazon for that. So if you buy a book on Audible and you don't like it, you are stuck with it. I don't care. Do not treat Audible like a library. Sorry, mini rant there. I've never heard of this. That sucks. Yeah. If you want to borrow audiobooks from the library, you can go to a library. They have audiobooks. They have e-audiobooks that you can just download straight to your phone. Use your local library as a library. Pay for your Amazon reads. Thank you. I was going to say, there is an app for that. It's called BorrowBox and I have it on my phone. Currently, I'm using it to listen to Men Who Stare at Goats, which is a non-fiction book about the American military. BorrowBox works in Ireland for your ebook downloads it's not necessarily the ebook app of the country that you are in for your library so you should check actually terry pratchett really loves libraries <laughs> he did an interview once where they were like so where were you educated and he said well technically i went to school but my place of education was like the local library and he spent a lot of his money funding libraries and supporting libraries he had one child rihanna pratchett who was also a writer And in 2007, he was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's and he passed away in 2015 after about eight years living with that disease. His last book was published posthumously and um, yeah, he continues to be much adored. And um, what is it? Gnu Terry Pratchett, as they say. (laughs) Do you want to hear about this book? Do you want to hear what I know about the book? Because I haven't read it. Yes, actually. I know that it's the third book in a series. Nope. Which, what? It's the second. Dang. At any rate, it's not the first book in a series, which was an interesting choice. I I admire it. Um, and that I believe he travels in time. It's a time travel book. Nope. I know nothing about this book. Continue. Tell me about it. (laughs) As Kira said, it is the second book in the Johnny Maxwell trilogy, which is not a Discworld book. It is set in our world. And it is, I believe it was intended as like, if the Just William books were written in the 90s. So like, Mm -hmm. children get into madcap adventures and how that works, kind of famous fivesy. So this book is based loosely on real events that happened in Westminster in the 1980s, where a council sold three cemeteries as building land for 15p. Pratchett was mm-hmm. working as a journalist at this time and um, it was interested in the story. So what he's done as he's mapped it onto Johnny Maxwell, who is a 12 year old boy living in the town of Blackbury, which is in the south of England, but far away from London. He's 12 years old. He has three friends. His parents are going through, each word capitalized, trying times for for which reasons he has recently moved in with his grandfather. And he's also just started seeing the dead. 
does trying times mean that they're having financial problems or that they are in the midst of a divorce? Well, in the book, it's given as the first phase of trying times was a lot of yelling. And Mm -hmm. the second phase of trying times was people trying to be sensible, which was a lot more upsetting because people are much worse at it. And they're now in the third phase of trying times, which involves Johnny and his mother moving in with her father while his dad tries finds a nice job somewhere else in the country. So, okay, it sounds like a mix of both. Yeah, Um, he's definitely a very um, working class boy. Mm hmm. It's not very similar to other books we've done, somewhat because of the protagonist's age and somewhat because of the way reality is played with in it. I couldn't really draw any comparisons, so I'm just going to have to talk about it in its own right. Um, Johnny has three friends, Wobbler, Big Mac and Yolas. Do you have questions about this? No, I'm going to take it on face value that those are the names. I've read other Terry Pratchett books. He likes an odd name. Okay, that's weird because they are all nicknames. I also assumed. Yeah, so Wobbler is obviously quite a chubby boy. Mm-hmm. Yolis is technically black, but he is very unlike what his white friends expect black people to be like. So they're like, he doesn't even say yo. We're going to call him Yolis. Oh, because he doesn't even have a yo. Yeah, he's completely Yolis. <laughs> he's a real nerd. Oh my goodness, that is um, upsetting. This book was written in the 80s? 90s. In the 90s? Okay. It's very self-aware about it because Big Mac then is a skinhead who mm-hmm. wears swastikas on his jacket and lives in a like tower block outside of town and is like mildly confused when people ask him whether that conflicts with one of his best friends being black. I have been rendered speechless. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> he's I... just he's just a skinhead because he's decided he's a skinhead. Um But he doesn't he wears actually Doc know Martin's what any but... of that means. Yeah. He Does... stole the Minister for Education's car and drove it into the school once. He's twelve? Yeah. They're from a rough area. Twelve year olds should not drive cars. He could have been eleven at that time. Oh my goodness, it's even how did his feet reach the pedals? I mean, he didn't break in time, so maybe they didn't. I'm very distressed. Tell me more. I mean, that's kind of all we get. Cause, so when Johnny starts seeing the dead, um, Yolis has a bit of a speech where he's like, well, you know, when Big Mac was in court for driving the Minister of Education's car into the school, we stood by him, didn't we? So so we'll cut down by you seeing dead people. Yeah. That's there's a beautifulness to that cuz they don't like believe him really at all. Neil Gaiman has a book about a young boy seeing dead people. They worked together at one point, Neil Gaiman they and Terry Pratchett for Good Omens. Yeah. What's the name of that book? Sandman? The Graveyard Book. Yeah. No, that's what it's called. It's called the Graveyard Book. Okay. Oh, I thought you were. I was going to go Googling it. Okay. That's sort of the larger contextual stuff. So, in terms of how and why Johnny's seeing the dead and whether mm-hmm. it's like really that he's seeing the dead or whether he's coping badly with his parents' divorce, 
Cratchit has said extra textually, I can't deal with all of that pernicious rubbish. To Johnny, it's all real and that's what counts. He deals with all of the problems in their own terms and half the time he's projecting reality onto fantasy. So is what happens in the book real? Yes. Does it all happen in Johnny's head? Yes. So Dumbledore rules. I was going to say that as, as Dumbledore has told us, just because it's happening in our head doesn't mean it's not real. Yeah. Within the text, there is evidence that the dead are really coming to life. So Mm -hmm. Johnny may have psychic powers. What it's framed as within the book, which is pretty much one of Pratchett's favourite themes, is the idea that people who see supernatural things are actually not seeing extra things. They just lack a certain filter that most people have, which means that they don't... People don't notice things that they can't process or don't want to deal with. So psychic people are actually people who just see the world at face value instead of filtering it. So basically, Johnny is seeing the world without an Instagram filter. Exactly. So like no one has dog noses at all. Oh my God. That's very upsetting. Kira, are you a furry? Are you coming out as a furry here live on pod? Why are you so obsessed with furries? You accused me of being a furry on last week's pod too. Did I? Yeah. Are you a furry? Last week it was four. Nope. It was. Pretty I'm pretty sure it was furry. It was I did Vore. the edits. Oh, it was kinning. It was talking about kinning, which isn't necessarily the same thing. I spend too much time on Tumblr. Kinning falls into furry. No, because people kin fictional characters. Okay. Who are like humans with flesh, etc. Okay. Do we want to discuss the book? Let's talk about the book some more. So Johnny is seeing dead people. It may or may not be in his head, but it's definitely real. And how it starts is he's moved in with his granddad. So Mm -hmm. he's walking a different way home from school. And he's noticed that he can take a shortcut through the cemetery and everything's a lot quicker. So when I'm after... So one afternoon, he's just walking through the cemetery with his best friend, Wobbler. And Wobbler dares him to knock on the door of one of the mausoleums. Mm -hmm. And Johnny does, and someone answers the door. And they all run away screaming, obviously. Yeah, mausoleum doors aren't supposed to open. It's distressing. Yeah. And then after calming down a bit... Johnny goes back and knocks on the door again and the guy who answered the door was like that was very rude of you what why why did you do that young man and he said oh I'm sorry uh you surprised me anyway uh what does the thing that's written on your grave mean and he's like oh it means for the public good is that all and Johnny's like yep and he walks away again why did Johnny not be able to just read for the public good oh because it's in latin Ah, it's actually written down in the book, but I don't know if it's real Latin or not. <laughs> I think that I, if I was writing a book, I would I would research the Latin for this one phrase. But I don't you know. You don't know Terry Pratchett. In Discworld, this there's a whole Latin esque language that's basically just what English speakers think Latin is, like the. Uh, I think the motto of the the public watch, so you've read this, is Fabriki DM, punk. 
So Johnny quite likes the graveyard and starts getting to know the dead. And a real mm-hmm. theme with the dead is that none of them are famous because when Johnny and his friends find out that the council have sold the graveyard and they're going to build on it, they're like, if we can find any famous people who live there, then we'll be able to save it. But all of the people are loosely based on other people who did really famous things and Mm -hmm. didn't quite do it. Like William Sticker is described by Johnny's granddad as the person who would have invented communism if Marx hadn't got there first. (laughs) Oh, that's a good description of a person. Yeah. Oh, are they all... Like, do you know how Thomas Edison worked in a patent agency and then he stole everyone's ideas and improved them slightly and then was like, I'm the inventor. Are they those people or are they people who are like genuinely working on something themselves and then in another part of the world, someone else at the same time is like, fixed it, solved that problem. I mean, it's all played for comedy. So we've got some of all of it. We've got William Sticker who would have invented communism if Marx hasn't got there first. And, you know, his grave, for example, says workers of the world unit because they ran out of money before they got to the E. He would have fought in the Spanish Civil War, except he got on the wrong boat and ended up in Hull. Oh, that sounds like a better life, to be honest. We also have the Alderman, mm-hmm. the Alderman being a position on local councils in the UK that's second to mayor. Another character we have is Solomon Einstein, who is a distant relation to Albert Einstein and is very quotable and keeps saying very deep philosophical things. And everyone like, quotes him and says, ah, Einstein said that. <laughs> but it's the wrong Einstein. But also everyone misquotes Einstein all of the time. That's why it's so funny. Yeah, yeah. And then because all of these people are local to this area and they're like, oh yeah, Solomon Einstein. He used to run a taxidermist shop. Some other examples of the very famous or very nearly famous characters are like, there's a Mrs. Liberty mm-hmm. who was a suffragette. The suffragettes were famous. One of them threw herself under, I think, a horse-drawn carriage that was containing the Prime Minister. And Mrs. Liberty was going to do the same thing. But unfortunately, it was car. And that's how she died. Yeah, it is hard to survive jumping under the wheels of a car because they squish your internal organs. Yeah. Yep. Although I learned from men who stare at goats that if you go very slowly, it's actually survivable. But anyway. If you drive very slowly... Yeah, for some reason the body can adapt. I don't like that, but okay. Is that like how um, you can lie down on a bed of nails because your your weight is equally distributed? Yeah, similar mm, idea. Hate us. Okay, tell me about these yeah. dead people. Well, basically, since Johnny's starting to get to know them at the same time as he figures out that the graveyard's about to get sold, he decides that he should tell them and ask them how they feel about it and they're like this is a disgrace I paid good money for this grave plot they said it was an eternal resting place they didn't say that a hundred years in the future some busybody was going to dig me up and put me in a necropolis which is where you put dead people Um, and they're all quite annoyed and they start taking more of an interest in local affairs Oh my god, are they going to try vote? They do try to vote. (laughs) 
in that Johnny um, represents him at a public meeting. But in terms of like Johnny's experiences being rooted in reality, like at some point he brings him a newspaper and one of them like holds it up in the air and is like reading it. And all of Johnny's friends are really freaked out because they can't see them. They can see the newspaper floating. Yeah. And like a page turns and stuff. Mm. But then as soon as the newspaper is dropped, they're like, oh, a freak wind because their normality filters are working. It's like that they can see the thing as it's happening. But when it stops, they rationalize it away. Because that makes sense to me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. And really the main themes of this book are the position of tradition and the past in society. Like the importance of historical preservation and urban decay and how local politics and local policy can have a huge impact on communities. Really, that's not what you'd expect for a book called Johnny and the Dead, but that is what you get out of it. So... What topics do you want to discuss? Uh, so the central themes of this book are the place of the past and the tra- and tradition mm-hmm. and the position of the dead in society. Okay. Like the importance of historical preservation and what happens when people are too eager to look to the future in that 90s way. Everyone was waiting for the millennium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, local politics and corruption. Well, there's kind of an A plot and a B plot. So there's Johnny's story and there's the dead story. And they run parallel. But at one point towards the end of the book, a character says, the living need to remember and the dead need to forget. And that's really encapsulates the journeys that the two kinds of characters have in this book the living Mm -hmm. and the dead so while the living people are dealing with questions of justice and community and how to best build a community that that suits the needs of the people living there the dead are discovering about this new world and interacting with electricity and they find out that they can travel along wires and at one point they phone a radio station and then at one point they start haunting a pub and controlling the jukebox. One of them bounces off the moon and comes back because he takes over a telescope in a local observatory. The dead, well, they when they arrive in the graveyard, they just know that they're meant to stay where they are because judgment day could be soon. And Mm -hmm. they are allowed to leave a little bit at night, but they need to be back in their graves by daylight because it could be judgment day. Today could be the day. And if they're not there, they can't get judged. Yeah. If you're not home, you can't get judged, which honestly makes it sound to me like maybe they shouldn't be home. No judgment. Can't get a sentence if you don't show up to the judge. I don't think I mean, that's how the law works. Evading arrest, possibly? <laughs> this entire book happens over the course of a week, by the way. Oh, I do love knowing the timescale of a book. It's the week that ends on Halloween, which is of a Tuesday. Of course it is. Part of tradition, modernity, I guess. Tradition versus modernity in this book. Like, Halloween comes up. Because obviously it's a, it's a book set in the south of England where Halloween traditionally hasn't been a big deal. It was always bonfire night. So the kids are like, well, people keep people keep channeling energy and resources into Halloween because they think bonfire night is too dangerous with all the fireworks and stuff. 
but the dead over the course of the book become more free and more alive and this is because of Johnny mm-hmm. at one point one of them says like it's hard to explain but we're free because you're thinking about us you have given us something that we lacked and now we're better at remembering who we are and we're better able to move around and be free and be ourselves but they still fear if they spend too much time away from the graveyard they'll lose who they are as people mm-hmm. and they won't be able to come back ever so they're not ghosts because there is one character who's a ghost and they're very specific that they're not ghosts they're just the dead okay interesting but as the book progresses and they kind of get a little bit more free they start looking for loopholes and at one point they spend a full 24 hours away from the graveyard on the basis of it's always midnight somewhere and we can travel at the speed of light over wires (laughs) that is such a loophole yeah yeah and there's a beautiful quote actually that i'm going to read to you The clock of the world turns under its own shadow. There is a night that never comes to an end. Midnight is a moving place, hurtling around the planet at a thousand miles an hour like a dark knife, cutting slices of daily bread off the endless loaf of time. Time passes everywhere, but days and nights are little local things that only happen to people who stay in one place. If you go fast enough, you can overtake the clock. So 73 dead people get into a phone box Call America, go to America, spend a few hours in America, phone the other coast of America, spend a few hours in that America, then go to Asia, go all the way across Europe, and then back home. home. And it's midnight, so it's fine. And does that work for them? Like It does. Does exploiting what they believe to be this loophole give them the bravery to stay out during the day? Or is that just something that they're not capable of doing? This happens in chapter eight of a 10 chapter book. When the dead come back from their day away, they have a new perspective on things. So they've realized that if they travel together, they don't really lose anything essential about who they are, but also they get to cast off the things that they didn't enjoy in life. Like one of them says, you know, I never really enjoyed being the alderman. I'm going to be someone else now. And this is when... This is when the dead are like, well, we just need to forget. And we've decided to stop waiting for Judgment Day and to make it today. Mm -hmm. And another metaphor they have is that of a pinball machine. And they say, we've managed to broaden our perspective beyond like, we are just dead people who used to be alive because it's like a pinball machine you spend so much time pinging about within the machine worrying about the slot in the bottom but maybe if the pinball knew that beyond that there was a bar and there was a town and there was a road and there was a planet and there was an infinite universe maybe they'd stop worrying so much about what happens when they fall into the slot so you get a bit of spirituality in it terry Pratchett explaining the world is upsetting because 
it's just so beautifully put into this one very simple metaphor and I am always upset by this um he's my he favorite has... writer yes I know I, I I'm I'm always reminded that I should read more Terry Pratchett whenever someone talks to me about a Terry Pratchett book um and I'm always reminded of that is just some beautiful literary metaphors right there and I'm I'm upset that someone wrote it down (laughs) you're upset that he was so good at words I'm upset that he was so good at words I don't know why this upsets me I feel like we need to stop recording so I can go process (laughs) that metaphor and then come back but I'm not going to do that and he just drops that as a as a line by a character in the middle of a scene that's primarily about something else and it's like not acknowledged or picked up by any other characters yeah Pratchett a a thing that that Terry Pratchett wrote that has always stuck with me is um, From the Watch which is a Discworld novel and it's Sam, Sam Vine's boot theory which explains a lot of the reasons why people in poverty stay in poverty and it's just because it costs more money to be in poverty so the the policeman in that book Sam Vines is walking the streets and he's like I know the streets it's like this throwaway thing where he's like I know the streets from the feel of them under my boots and he always buys the really cheap boots even though that costs more money because on their way a good pair of boots costs 50 pounds so if you can afford 50 pounds worth of boots those boots will last you for like years and years and years but their wage is only like 10 pounds and therefore they keep people keep ending up having to purchase shoes that are like eight pounds and having to replace them over and over again within like six months and therefore it costs more money because the person who spent 50 euros in one thing in one time has their boots forever or for a very long time um Mm -hmm. and that is why people in poverty can't save money and i'm just like thank you 15 year old Kira really needed that lesson (laughs) and it was so simple he's a genius as I grow older I find myself getting more and more Pratchett-esque in my worldview and I find myself using knowledge of Pratchett and internalizing the messages in Pratchett's writing more and more as a measure of people because if someone has read and endured all of Pratchett's books even if I don't feel like I vibe with them on a very like basic level I can at least trust that they're aware of where my values come from (laughs) and how they work like even if they don't agree it's like I can your brain has been shaped by the same things as mine's been shaped with because like I said this man wrote dozens and dozens of books 40 or so of them in the Discworld series. I read all of them between the ages of 11 and 14 and mm-hmm. have been rereading them ever since. I've slowed down recently and perhaps only read three Pratchett books last year, but he's very good. His things are very good. I agree. I agree strongly. Do you want to learn more about the living's journey in this book? Yeah, what's Johnny been up to? Like, I know that he's been, like, chatting to the dead people and that's what's helping giving them more confidence to go explore the world. But 
Has he been up to other stuff? Does he chat to his granddad? Yeah. How are his friends? Is his mom okay? Does his dad get a job? I have many questions. His father doesn't appear at all. Oh. His mother seems okay. What happens is Johnny tries to figure out if any famous people were buried in that graveyard. So he and his friends all go to the library where they go through old historical microfiches and just check the front pages to see if there's any names in it that they recognize from the graveyard. And they don't find any. The most impressive thing they find is they find out about the Blackberry Pals, which mm -hmm. is based upon a real world thing. So I'm going to actually read Pratchett's author note now just to explain what Pals Battalions are. Yeah, cool. There really were such thing as Pals Battalions, just as described here, and they were a really horribly innocent device for wiping out a whole generation of young men from one particular area with one cannon shell. This particular practice had died out by the summer of 1916, when the first Battle of the Somme took place. 19,000 British soldiers died on the first day of battle. So Pals Battalions were that all of the young men from a certain area would sign up to be in the same battalion, in the Great War, World War One, mm -hmm. And of course, then they would all be sent to the same place to fight in the same bit. And, and then they would they... all die because that's a large part of war. Yep. And then no one would come home to that village and then that village would be decimated because there is no population of young men. And at that time you needed young men to work and to marry and so all their all their young women moved out to marry young men who had not died in the war oh my goodness and then the village dies because there's no oh it's my bad goodness. yes i didn't know that they did that i hate it i'm glad that the practice died out yeah, yeah. so while looking at the microfiches in the library we get another sense of Johnny's psychic powers because mm -hmm. he looks at the picture of the Pals Battalion. They're called the Blackberry Pals because it's Blackberry is the place they're living. And he feels like he's falling through time, which is a nice bit of foreshadowing to the next book when he when time travel does happen. And he looks at these people and all these faces and he's like, they're only so they're barely older than us, and they're all just real people. The people who lived and died in the past were real people who really lived and really died. And he finds out that of the picture he's looking at, all but one of the men in it died three weeks after it was taken. Oh. And the one is still alive. His name is Tommy Atkins and okay. he is living in the local old folks home. But by the time... Johnny gets there, he died mm -hmm. the day before. Oh, that's sad. Was he going to interview him and record all his memories? He was, yeah. Or just for some reason, John Johnny feels really interested in the Blackberry Pals and really wants to learn more about them and feels like if he could... So his first thought was, are these guys buried in the graveyard? And the answer mm -hmm. is no, they were left on the battlefield. And his next thought is, was the one that survived buried in the graveyard? And it's no, he's still alive. And he gets to the 
He gets to the old folks' home and he's just died. This is where Johnny meets Mr. Atterbury, who becomes quite an important character in the second half of the book. He's mm-hmm. the son of one of the Blackberry pals. And he used to be a manager at the old boots factory where Johnny's granddad used to work, where a lot of people in the area used to work, but it's closed now. And Mr. Atterbury visited Mr. Atkins every Christmas, I believe. And he's the child of one of the Blackberry pals and he's a connection to the history. And Johnny talks to him about what was happening in the graveyard. Mm -hmm. And... While Johnny's sitting with Mr. Atterbury, he sees all of the remaining ghosts of the boys who died at war marching up to the old folks' home where the man has just died. And the ghost of the old guy who just died walks towards them and he the years fall away from him and he steps in in line with his friends and they all march back to France together oh that's really beautiful yeah and they're all singing songs and they're happy to see him oh family family is family yeah and as Johnny sees this he says oh he's going back to France and Mr Atterbury says oh did you did the nurse in the old folks home tell you yeah yeah he wanted his his ashes scattered over the battlefield he gave very precise coordinates so I'm going to go do that soon that's really war is bad I want to preface this with war is bad and at one point in my working career I had to transcribe war diaries so I'm very aware it is bad but the soldiers did and they still do, like, there's still soldiers in the world. I don't know why I'm speaking entirely in past tense. But, yeah, there is, like, it does become a family. And I am I am glad that he did not get left out in death, Yeah, I suppose. And in and trauma. And be together again. And in trauma. Bonding in trauma. My goodness. Mm. So Mr. Atterbury is very important because he's an adult who has Johnny's back for the rest of the book. And the rest of the book is Johnny trying to find a way to save the graveyard, even though there's no famous people there, because it doesn't matter if there's no famous people there. He kind of figures out that actually people should matter, even if they weren't famous. And yeah, dead people were still people who lived in. And even if they're not important in the global scheme of things, they're important to this town because they built this town there's ordinary heroes yeah chapter seven is a really mm-hmm. beautiful chapter that i was rereading as you were to, uh, get yourself set up for recording the dead are whizzing around the world doing their self-discovery journey and johnny is in a public meeting discussing what's going to happen to the graveyard and the local county council and the company who bought it called United Consolidated Holdings are very soothingly telling everyone in very placid tones that it's going to be fine. We had a lot of public consultation at every step of this journey. The cost of upkeep for the graveyard is too much. It's going to be great. We're going to have more jobs. If we just build on this area, it's going to be fine. And Johnny describes feeling like 
this pool of words is just getting higher and higher and soon it's going to close over everyone's heads and you're always told to keep your head down but if you keep your head down you're going to drown underneath the weight of other people's soothing words but all of the other people in the meeting aren't used to this they're just people who Mm -hmm. walk their dog in the graveyard people who just kind of sit on the bench there sometimes because it's the only open green space for miles and miles and miles and there's a thing that Johnny mentions a few times in the book where it's like maybe when you die there's an angel who says is there anything any questions you'd like answered and you get to say yeah in this situation I did this thing and I kind of wonder what would have happened if I'd done something else and maybe that angel gives you a chance to go back and to have another go and maybe that's what's happening right now is that you're now in this reality where the angel sent you back and if you don't act now you'll never get a chance so he stands up and he says can I just ask a question is there anything anyone says in this meeting that is going to change anything about whether the graveyard's going to get built on and they say no they're all very angry with him and they're saying how disrespectful we care so much about public property we care about uh people's opinions what why would you act as if that's not going to happen these aren't the rules of the meeting you have to wait till the end for questions and he says well i can't wait till the end because i have to be in bed by 10. (laughs) oh he's a child yeah he has to go home public meetings are not are not put at times to facilitate children yeah it's a it's good he's also like fully playing the crowd because he's like these are all middle-aged people who like the idea of anyone under the age of 30 being in bed by 10 (laughs) and he's like i'm generally in my room until 10 they don't need to know what time the lights go off (laughs) so the local council people and the building company that bought the graveyard storm out of the room Mm -hmm. and they said this meeting's over And Johnny's like, that can't be true because it's a public meeting and we're the public and we're still here. So him and Mr. Atterbury... A a good argument. Him and Mr. Atterbury uh, talk to everyone else who's there and are like, so they don't seem to want to let us stop it, but we're all still here. Why don't we stop it? And they found the Blackberry Volunteers which is the original Mm -hmm. name of the Blackberry Pals Battalion. Yeah. So they're the Blackberry Volunteers and they decide to officially oppose the graveyard being built on. I love this book about community activism and, and, and building communities and using that to support your community and I just keep repeating the word community because it's very important to me and it is apt that this book you are reading right now this book is very apt right now because here in Ireland we are currently um, in going through an election cycle and there is just so much wildness happening and the government doesn't doesn't appear to care I would go so far as to say the government doesn't care and it's just like the community needs to rise up. Yep. We need to have more power and do more. And look at Johnny 
a little 12 year old boy seeing dead people raising the community up to save their graveyard i love this obviously the thing that unfortunately happens when you challenge the interests of of capital and established political doctrine is that they're not above resorting to underhand filthy and violent means for example the next night is halloween and they're all at wobbler's party but it's a bit boring so they decide they're going to go wander around town and see what's up and johnny gets a feeling that something's going to happen so he makes his friends come with him to the old graveyard where across the street in the old boot factory there's a big piece of machinery starting up and it's a bulldozer and Johnny's immediately like Wobbler please go run through the graveyard and get Mr Atterbury and Wobbler's like why do I have to go alone and Johnny's like you'll run much faster if you're alone and the other three (laughs) because he's very afraid poor boy and then the other three um confront this bulldozer and Big Mac fucking uh, tiny, scrawny, 12-year-old who's full of rage. And I haven't gotten into it much, but has a very terrible home life where his he lives with his brother who is horrible to him in a very off-screen, this counts as child abuse way. And this kid gets a chance to take all of his rage out on two hired thugs in a in a bulldozer if they'd been able to get one good punch in it would all be over but they weren't they can't (laughs) because he is scrawny fast and angry yeah oh i love this child this little skinhead i hope that he stops wearing swastikas you'll 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 like this bit okay (laughs) so wobbler and mr atterbury roll up and the two people who are running the bulldozer get away in a van. Wobbler was clever enough to write the reg of the car or the van that they ran away mm-hmm. in in the window of the car that Mr. Atterbury was driving. And Mr. Atterbury, a respected local man, calls the police who have been dealing with ghostly escapades all night and aren't very happy and says that there was an attempt to bulldoze the cemetery and the boys mm-hmm. are like what what how did this happen it's against the rules and mr atterbury's like yeah it is but it probably would have been a lot more convenient for the council and for the companies involved if you know youthful hijinks got over out of hand on the night that's in it and it just so happened that the cemetery had already been destroyed so we might as well build on Got to finish the job now. Now that the now that it's been uh, vandalized, we might as well put it, make it into a parking lot. Yeah. It's just it makes sense. I don't know what they were actually planning on using it for, but I'm just. It feels like it would be a parking lot, honestly. Like, it was going to be office buildings happens, it... because one thing Johnny points out in the meeting, which is also the case for the Westminster buildings that this whole book is based on, is that the council mm-hmm. have said it costs too much to upkeep these buildings or these cemeteries. It costs too much to upkeep these cemeteries, but what they're listing as costs is actually just the lack of the rates that they would get from a business if there was a business there. So they're just Mm. like, if someone was there paying council tax, we would earn this much money, 
but there isn't, so we're not earning this much money. Therefore, that's the cost of upkeeping this graveyard. That's that's a different economic thing. That's an opportunity cost. That's shady as fuck. Um, and I don't agree with the council doing that, especially since there seems to be like this boots factory that's gone out of business that could be converted into office space. The whole section with the local meeting, Mr. Atterbury and a bunch of others, older members of the community say, like, you destroyed High Street. There was lots of beautiful little shops there. People lived there. You ref- you replaced it with this shopping mall. And people are afraid to go there at night because it's it's like this is what happens when you remove residential accommodation from urban areas is that they become dangerous at night you bulldoze the old allotments that were down by the train bridge and the councilwoman is like well they were ugly and he said yes they were ugly because there was children and dogs playing there and people were making greenhouses out of old window panes and it was alive and a place of creation and community and yes it was ugly just like the graveyard because it's a real place with living plants and crumbling architecture and that is what people need sometimes Mm -hmm. but Mr Atterbury is a wonderful activist he also like talks to a representative of United Consolidated Holdings on like local tv and like on the radio and his attitude is that a kind word can go a long way, which Johnny and his friends just don't understand. But Mr. Atterbury is like, yes, a kind word can go a long way when the alternative is us revealing that you hired thugs to try, like, bulldoze our beautiful local area. And it was really refreshing and wonderful for me to read because, yes, this is activism. <laughs> this is how it works. <laughs> But uh, Mr. Atterbury with Wobbler goes to the police. Um, Big Mac doesn't want to necessarily go to the police because he's had some trouble with the police before. But he goes off with them anyway and Yolis goes with them, leaving just Johnny at the graveyard. And then the bulldozer starts up again because the Mm -hmm. dead have come back and are like, well, we've actually we've seen more of the world. We've got our own power now. We've decided that we don't need to stay stuck here until Judgment Day because we're happy enough to uh, go off and explore all of existence. And you guys can just bulldoze this because you said that the living need it to be an office block. So we'll fix that for you. And Johnny has to be like, no. We need, we need, we need to remember. Yeah. This is where my line comes from, where the living need to remember and the dead need to forget. Another quote that I believe we were going to highlight from this book was um, times like a road, but it doesn't roll up behind you just because you've passed through something doesn't mean it's not there anymore. When you drive through a town and it disappears out of your like your rearview mirror, that doesn't mean it's Mm -hmm. not there anymore. It's just that you're not there anymore. And the place that you are and the place that it is are different places. It doesn't mean that it shouldn't still exist which yeah and the reason so so johnny got into this initially because he was trying to defend Mm -hmm. the dead but everyone else who was at that council meeting probably had their own reasons for not wanting the graveyard destroyed such as the people who walked through it and the people who used it as a place to be outside 
So just because the dead don't want it anymore doesn't mean that it doesn't still serve a community purpose and a community good. And that's really the conclusion of the book. One last thing on Big Mac. Big Mac comes home from the police station and his older brother Mm -hmm. makes a move to start beating him up again. And according to Yolis, who was also there, gets a cold look in his eye, knocks his brother out with one punch. And then Yolis calls his mum and she moves Big Mac into their spare room and he goes to live with their family. So I presume the swastika thing gets taken care of. Community fostering program. Yeah. And... Oh, kinship fostering. All of these kids are beautiful because... They do all have their own stuff going on. Like Wobbler would love to be a nerd, but the nerds won't let him into their club because he keeps breaking their stuff because he's just not good at technology. And he loves all these ghost and horror movies. And every time something happens in the book, he's like, oh my God, this is just like this movie that I saw with vague description. And I went on to the Terry Pratchett wiki, Space. And there's just a bunch of annotations where people are like, this references this movie, this references this movie, this references this movie. <laughs> and Yolis obviously is a nerd who's interested in things like astronomy and computers and maths. Big Mac is also very embarrassed because he's naturally good at maths. And he has an interest in keeping fish and has an exotic fish collection that also moves with him into Yolis's house. These sweet boys. Yeah, they're very good kids. Oh, I want only good things yeah. for them. Is there any um, girls in this book? Or is it just the bo- group There's of boys? There's no girls in this book at all. Um, the closest thing to... Except for the mom. The mom isn't really in it. What we do have is Mrs. <laughs> Liberty, who is the suffragette, who is one of the dead. Yeah. And we also have the chairwoman of the local county council is a Miss Liberty who is actually one of her, like, great-grandkids. Yeah. Mm, But that's all we have for girls. In the other books, there are girls. Um, Let me see. Yeah, no. All of the dead kind of move on to a place that is definitely not heaven and is just more them just Mm -hmm. exploring more of the world. Excepting Mr. Grimm. Okay. Who is... Mm -hmm. A very unsettling character who I I read this book when I was a kid and I reread it obviously for the pod and I couldn't remember what Mr. Grimm was about but all of the other ghosts are afraid of him and they don't like spending time around him and I'm aware of the concept of a Grimm in English folklore which is a ghost who omen an omen of death they're often a dog but Mr. Grimm is a person and he doesn't want to leave the graveyard he resists all of the dead traveling mm-hmm. away and he doesn't travel with them and johnny does some research on him uh but all the dead say you're not going to find anything because there's some things they didn't write about in the newspaper at that time so i thought he'd have done something really really terrible but okay what you find out actually at the end is mr grimm was a person who took life very seriously his own for a start Oh, yeah. oh so no. he's a ghost Poor Mr. Grimm. all of the others aren't ghosts but he's a ghost and he's haunting the place he died because he actually uh, was drowned in the canal right beside the graveyard. Mm-hmm. the graveyard he doesn't want to move on with the rest of the dead but 
Johnny gives him a TV because one of the things when the ghosts were figuring out how to interact with the modern world is one of them managed to resurrect the ghost of a TV that had been smashed and left in the canal and they all used it to watch American soaps. And he gives oh that God. to Mr. Grimm in the hopes that Mr. Grimm might realise one day that he can move on. He is free. But in the meantime, here's Neighbours. I Neighbours is Australian. It is, yeah. <laughs> I hope that Mr. Grimm is able to move on and that he recovers in death from his depression. Yeah. That is what I hope for him. He's officially my favorite character he's really good i want to give him a hug yeah he's really good um he's definitely symbolic of another another theme that is continuous in pratchett's work which is that the real evil in the world isn't some D &D style massive dragon that wants to like kill your soul because it's the kind of people who run councils and businesses and decide that human value is countable and can be weighed against other factors. And Mr. Grimm is kind of shown as being the ultimate victim of that kind of evil because, I mean, he suffered a lot in life and his worth wasn't valued and that's why he's not as free to leave as the other dead are. And a lot of that, I think, is relevant to the encroachment of capitalism on areas that should not be capitalist, even if my personal opinion is that no areas should be capitalist. Um, it's a very interesting, thought-provoking book. And because it is for younger readers, it is a really great starter option if someone wants to get a taste for practice writing without getting into a fantasy genre. Okay. Highlights, lowlights and sidelights? I think I'm going to say lowlights first and it's probably the introduction okay. of Mr. Grimm's death by suicide towards the end of the book mm-hmm. in a way that feels a little bit insensitive uh, because he spends most of the book being marginalised and not liked very much by the rest of the dead which is perhaps due to cultural attitudes towards suicide within the moments they were alive but it's never... Mm-hmm. It's never dealt with. I kind of, from it, spent most of the book thinking, oh, this man did something terrible. Oh, this man did some horrible crimes and they don't like him because he was an awful criminal who did terrible things to people and made them suffer terribly. And that's why they don't like him. And that makes sense. So he's a villain. But it turns out he's just a, a sad guy who's kind of unpleasant to be around because he is very strict ideas about what should and shouldn't be done but it's not it's not that he's a terrible person who deserves to be marginalized in what is effectively his community the dead that's my low light yeah that's Um, fair i would have liked to see that treated a little bit more sensitively it was also the 90s like the time in which it was it was the 90s and a sidelight or a thing that it's not like a purely positive thing but a thing that definitely struck me reading this Mm -hmm. book was the ways in which it was clearly produced in the 90s for example we have a 12 year old who's dabbling with nazism nazi symbology and i i don't like that very much i don't like that in the character even though it might be 
a realistic portrayal of how some young white men in culturally marginalised areas in the UK and other parts of Europe and the global north deal with being culturally marginalised. It makes it difficult for me to be sympathetic to that character. Yeah, in the in the 90s, there was a lot of, particularly in like the punk scene and stuff, there was a lot, a lot of Nazi, not sympathisers, but like, and it was mostly to shock. So there's people for whom the Second World War was distant enough that they could. Yeah. It it was pre, it was associated with their parents and grandparents' generations, so they were able to use the symbology from it to be like, "Oh, I'm bad. I'm not like you guys. I'm I'm edgy." Yeah, but it's it's not quite the same as right now when if you see someone with uh with a swastika you don't be like oh they're rebelling against the man you're like they're yeah that's just a nazi um that's just a nazi that poor kid yeah no yeah um so poor big mac <laughs> lost a little bit of sympathy from me for being a self-identified skinhead other sidelights you know how important it is to engage in local politics because local decisions can really change an area I was I spent most of my day today with catching up with a friend who I hadn't seen since before Christmas. She goes to an art college in what would have been traditionally a very working class area of Dublin and is now being quite gentrified due to there being an art college there and other factors. And she was saying how all the homeless people there are quite aggressive because they see the art students as interlopers who are taking community resources away from them. And I was like, listen, friend, I don't. I don't want to make you feel bad about yourself, but that's exactly what you are. It is the existence of your college in this place, which makes it less safe for these working class people. It makes them less able to afford accommodation and find jobs, unfortunately. And it's not necessarily your fault. And part of it is to the blame of the council for allowing the needs of working class people to be disregarded when looking at ways to revitalize working class areas. And this is very very relevant I think in a lot of cities these days in the global north and it's really a key thing in this book is that you need to be aware of what your local council is doing you need to take them to task you need to say you guys made this decision without a lot of input from people who actually work in this area and live in this area I won't stand by it and we should change it I agree though sometimes if you are from a very upper middle class area, I think that the council should ignore you and put in public services and public transport. And I am looking at a community directly that will go unnamed, but there was a local public transport system that was supposed to go in near me. And it is not because parents didn't know were like how will I drive my child to school while the construction works and I'm like what that's this is needed so that people can get to yeah, work that's, that's bad yeah but um but but also county councils shouldn't uh and local government shouldn't put the knees look actually you know what that is actually just another prime example of local government putting the needs of um upper middle class people above the needs of working class people because working class people and lower income families are living further and further outside of the city and therefore need more public transport to get into the city where their jobs are 
and these people are very privileged in that they are living close to the city and have cars and can drive their children to school and are like I will be minorly inconvenienced for a year to 18 months and therefore no one should be able to have a better public transport system and I am Raging. Yeah, Kira referenced earlier that we're going into an election cycle here in Ireland. Our election <laughs> cycles are much shorter than they tend to be in uh, the US, for example. They are four weeks long. The Green Party would be really changing things if they got into power because they're looking at actually halting state projects that are already happening to redirect that funding towards public transport. The existing state projects being around building more roads and I was just like god that's a sexy idea is that not the most fulfilling thing you can possibly imagine I agree I agree but one of the pub one of the one of the projects that they want to cancel is the uh Limerick to Cork motorway and that is a project that I think does need to go ahead Fair enough. And your local opinion should be taken into account better than mine should (laughs) because I'm not local to Limerick. Do you want to ask me anything about the book or say anything else about it? Um, I think that you've answered all my questions. There is a person of colour. There are very few to no women. A ghost is different to a dead person. Um... Yeah. And Yolis is a really great character. His framing as a character is very, like, racial, but it's a very human and realistic portrayal of a real person who happens to be a black boy in the south of England and his blackness is a factor. At that public meeting where Johnny stands up and says a thing, like, he's shouted down and forced to sit down and then Yola stands up and he's, like, glaring at the chairperson daring her to tell him to sit down and she's like you the other boy in the um in the um t-shirt and the um um and he's like the black one you you mean the black boy i'm i'm the only black person in this room you can you can just be like black boy yeah yeah (laughs) but don't yeah but don't and his friends are like ignorant but also like still kind yeah like at one point um they are talking about voodoo and they're like, does your mom know about voodoo? Because you're West Indian. And Yolis is like, well, uh, voodoo is based on West Indian practices, which were brought over by slaves from West African regions. But uh, yeah, my mom doesn't know anything about it. My mom spends more time in the church than uh, the Pope. My mom spends more time in the church than God himself. <laughs> it's just good and human and nice. I just got a notification that your phone battery is low and that this call might end. Yeah, I'm plugging it in. Um, but yes, we should possibly wrap up the pod. You have nothing else cool. to say about this book? Then what should we say about other books? What are you reading for us next, Kira? Um, I will be back in two weeks with I Am The Messenger by Marcus Zusak, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I will definitely be doing a book by an Australian author, and it will probably be that book, but I will keep you updated on the socials, which we did at the start, if it is not. We have chosen to do Australian books for February. In acknowledgement of the national crisis Australia is dealing with right now, with regards to the forest fires, it's not much, but it is something we can do to bring the Australian point of view to the global stage. 
And, and we will have links in the show notes for this episode as well, where you can donate to the Red Cross and a couple of other organizations in Australia in order to try get those fires out and also just try to help the people that are affected. Well, then that's all of our updates for this episode. As always, you can keep up with what we're doing on our social media. On Twitter, that's at ForeverYAPod. On Instagram, that's at ForeverYAPodcast. On Goodreads, we can be found at ForeverYAPod. And on Patreon, we can be found at ForeverYAPod. It is just Instagram that's the odd one out. But... They're all beautifully managed currently by Kira alone because I took January as a break from social media. Anything else to add? Um, this time last year, we recorded a podcast and I said that I had been going to the gym and that my, my challenge for t- 2019 was to go to the gym more. But uh, before, ca- before recording this podcast, I went to that gym and I cancelled my subscription to the gym because I only went in January, February and March of last year. So I am now 20 euros richer a month. That's my update. In case any of the listeners were wondering how that, how that went for me, how <laughs> um, that project went. Thank you so much for listening. Like I said about our social medias, keep in contact with us there. If you've got any thoughts to share on this episode, drop us a review. If you don't listen to us on a podcasting platform which allows reviews, talk to us on Instagram or Twitter. If you don't have accounts on either of those, you should snag the next passing stranger and tell them, I just listened to this podcast. You should listen to it so that we can talk. That's all from us, I think. Kira's making some weird faces at me in the viewfinder, which means she's not quite at the position of mental awareness that I would require from a podcast co-host. Although her face is very beautiful. I was working today and you were off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Catch us again in two weeks with our Australian books. Bye. Bye. Outro music has happened and you're still here. I think you want to follow us on Twitter. Yeah, you can find us there at ForeverYAPod. And on Instagram at ForeverYAPod. You can also email us at ForeverYAPod. And if you really, really like what you're hearing, you can contribute to our Patreon, which you can find at ForeverYAPod. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, if you are listening on iTunes, please leave us a review. We love you. Talk to you in two weeks. Bye.